Thomas Green here with Ethical Marketing Service. On the podcast today, we have Ho Yin Chung. Ho Yin, welcome. Hey, Thomas. Thanks for having me. It is my pleasure. Would you like to take a moment and tell the audience a bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Ho Yin. I am the founder of Remo. Remo is an immersive uh, map-based virtual events platform where we help um, businesses uh, help their audience uh, not only educate them, but create authentic conversations that drive meaningful relationships uh, that end up driving um, revenue, leads, um, education, advocacy, um, and um, uh, to help you achieve your business goals. Thank you for that. Um, in the sort of messages before we, uh, we recorded, there's an awful lot that I can sort of get to talk to you about. But one of the things which um, it does look like it's important to you is um, authenticity. And um, the proposed topic of discussion is um, how social media is anti-human and how we lost authentic conversations that build meaningful relationships. So as a starter, um, would you like to open with um, how social media is anti-human and what you mean by that? Sure. Wow. Brain right for the meat of it. I love it. Okay. Um, so I think really what, you know, if we've kind of seen what's transpired over the past several years, um, you know, especially with whether if it's Brexit or with, um, you know, the U S election, I think we've all kind of seen this intense polarization that's been happening with, um, our discourse and the way how we talk about things, the way how we talk to each other or the lack of, and um, I think a lot of us have kind of, you know, there's a lot of documentaries about this, or of things talking about this, but I think it's really important to kind of point out that a lot of the sort of hollow chamber, kind of everyone's just talking in their own bubble, uh, has resulted in a lot of disconnect between groups and this further like narrowing and, and kind of digging in their heels and their own. Uh, perspective or their own opinions and and just the lack of you know being open and, and, and talking to others and welcoming other um, other thoughts and I think the I, I think a lot of this has been a challenge because of the social media that we have been um, you know put ourselves through and not only that but the social media is just designed for more engagement social media is designed that you need to click on something they don't care whether you click on something is good or bad. They just want you to click on something. And so the whole concept of that social media uh, for the sake of engagement has led us down this rabbit hole of this passive, very rapidly diverging opinion um, that essentially lead all of us to, to, to weaken our social uh, anthropological, like the way how we organize ourselves socially, it's just weakened that whole infrastructure that, that allows that because now everyone's looking at different sources of information. It's too much information. And so because of some machine learning algorithm that is essentially a machine, it's a machine is, is not really human because it doesn't create those, the, the joys and, and, and the differences of what it means to be human, right? It doesn't do that. Um, and so therefore, a lot of what social media has created is it's very anti-human. Uh, that's how we regard it as. And 
it's not authentic because it's, it's it's not being created to be authentic. It's being created to optimize for clicks and optimize for ads. Um, and so at the end of the day, like like that is something where I think is a challenge for us how we kind of navigate navigate through technology that we created that's essentially like technology was supposed to work for us, but right now it's kind of flipped around. Like we're kind of beholden to technology. And so, and so I think that's really, you know, it's nothing really existential about that. It's just like, we have some technologies that's just not being used in the right way, or we haven't set the guardrails in place on when technology should be used and when it should not be just, just like in financial markets, just like in um, like the FDA or any kind of medical device, we have guardrails set in place for those technologies. We don't have that for social media. Do you think there's any room for a viable solution there? Either within the existing companies or a, or a new one, perhaps. I don't know. That, that's a that's a that's a difficult question to answer. I mean, with existing companies, I think like they they're so dug into their current business model. It's very that's very difficult to change. Asking someone to change their business model is like it's it's incredibly incredibly different because there's no incentive greater than your own business. So the incentives are not aligned. Their, their incentives, because of what they've created, that their machine has created, that machine is not aligned with what I'm talking about. Not entirely. And to make that shift to pivot, the only time companies pivot is it depends on their revenue. So um, they were not doing it on their own. And I think it has to be done through some kind of regulation, which is what you're seeing in Europe right now. Like they're starting to regulate um, the space more tightly. Um, but in the U.S., it's still pretty far away from that. Um, they've attempted to, but I think they don't. They're not. They're not moving at the pace where they needed to be. I, I think it has. Um, I think the sad thing is, that I think it's going to take some time, and I think maybe it has to be done either through uh, regulation, and regulation may may spawn, may create new um, social media social media that that uh, will will potentially be the next Facebook. I mean, if you look at social media networks, there's been, I don't know, six or seven big ones over time and they all follow the same graph. It just goes up and down, up and down, up and down and they just overlap. You know, MySpace, ICQ, you know, like, you know, all these different different ones that just over time, they, they, they will, you know, have to uh, be taken over by the next one. And what's your take on... Um whether social media has sort of made us worse or just shined a light on kind of how we already are as a as a species so i, I think i think social media has given us a lot of information and has given us a lot of opportunity um to do things that we wouldn't have done before um you know a lot of times we'd probably do these things in private or we wouldn't talk about it so much so it has given us that extra sort of a much more broadcast phone that people can broadcast so that we do see all the worst parts of it. In fact, what it does is it just amplifies the good and the bad. When it's good, it just amplifies it out. When it's bad, it, 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 social media doesn't care if it's good or bad in general. All they do is it just amplifies. Anything that's clickable, whether it's good or bad, it follows the same viral loop and it just viral. Now, some bad things do get amplified. You could, you could argue that maybe bad things amplified more because 
bad things are more clickable potentially. Um, so it, you could argue that it does amplify bad behavior or bad things. Um, but um, I, I do think that like it, it, it's something where it, it doesn't really, I don't think it really cares. It, it, I think it's just a machine algorithm that someone in Facebook or whoever created and they're just optimizing on something. Um, the way how we as humans use it today, um, unfortunately, we don't really control. Like we can't really, yes, me and some, you know, other people, not necessarily me, but just people in general that don't, that don't subscribe to social media, they don't do that, yes, they have control. But there's vast numbers of people that maybe they don't know, they don't care, or they, they have, they, they're, they're not sure. They're just consuming it as if it's just content. And in some sense, maybe those people don't have control because they don't know, or they may not be aware. Um, and and that, in those cases, yes, it does show kind of the worst in us because they don't have control. Well, the next um, sort of part of the question is about authentic conversations. Would you mind giving a, an example of a conversation that you might have with someone which is authentic and then it's equivalent on social media, for example? So an authentic conversation is when you, you have a conversation between two people. And to me, it's very, it's in general, pretty simple. It's, it's you, if in the physical world, you go to a pub, you go to a bar, or you go meet someone at an event, you sit down, you meet them either serendipitously or whatnot. And it's just a normal human conversation. And you ask each other questions, learn about each other. And if there is some um, interest or potential collaboration or interest to move the, the relationship further and achieve both goals, then there is a chance to develop a relationship. An authentic conversation is kind of like a chance to develop a relationship where we, everyone, each person exposes just enough to say, hey, you know what? There is interest here to kind of work together. Or no, there is an interest. We're, we're, we're just so not really in each other's orbits. It doesn't make sense. But it's basically being able to evaluate each other in a very authentic way. In social media, there's not really any opportunity to really do that because you're not talking to each other. You're just texting each other. It's just through text. It's asynchronous. It's not an actual conversation. Like replying people on chat is not a conversation. It's sending letters to each other at a very high, very high frequency. Um, but that's not a, it's not a conversation. So I would say in social media, there really isn't too many, like, I don't think there is currently. Do you think, again, coming back to what the potential solution is, do you think there's any improvements that are possible there? Well, in terms of social media, like there are some areas where some people, some people are now doing, which is they're having these like, like Clubhouse, for example, like Clubhouse is having an ability to have two people have conversation, everyone kind of listens in. Um, that's, that is possible. That is possible as an improvement. Um, it, it does kind of ride on the fact that you're an influencer and you, you want, you know, so right now Clubhouse is very early in its stage. And so every platform will get to a point where it becomes very mass adopted. And when anything becomes mass adopted, that's when it usually becomes mediocre. In the context of um, authentic conversations, you mean? Authentic conversations. 
because once it becomes mass, everyone, every growth marketer, every person who wants to take advantage of it is trying to take advantage of it in order to achieve their goals, whether it's to um, um, hack it, you know, to, to, or to um, push their own agenda or whatever in the most effective way possible. And that's when, you know, basically email, early stage email was great. Now email is more mediocre because there's spam. That's the same thing. Facebook, you get spam. So, so what email did is they created spam filters. What Facebook did is they have moderators. They have a whole team of moderators moderating the content. It's essentially the same thing. It's filtering. So um, it, to let a system keep going, you just have to filter more. Um, and Clubhouse is in such an early stage that you don't need that as much yet because it's not being mass adopted, but eventually it's going to need that as well. So my opinion is like the really, the ability to, in my opinion, is like the solution isn't about creating very super public facing things. It's conversations and relations happen just how human beings have done it for thousands and thousands of years. They do it in small groups and small communities. Like, Conversations happen around campfires, around um, smaller groups, not this one person standing on soaps. Because now what's happening is that you're in the town, you're in the middle of the town square, and there's 50 people, each person standing on their soapbox and talking about their thing. If you look back at history, that doesn't really work. Like just people just don't, this doesn't happen. This doesn't work. Yeah. Um, the, the last part of the, the question is around sort of, building meaningful relationships i mean i'm 100 on the same page with you um, in terms of everything you've said prior um, in this particular part of the question around building meaningful relationships as i understand it there are some examples of people building relationships through social um, perhaps people who don't have existing friendships who have you know reached out and found people who are similar to them for example um, the, the flip side of that is that I think there are a lot of, should we say, hollow or shallow relationships on social. But um, what's your take on, I suppose, that um, conflict, if you like? So I think that's a good point. So I think it's not that like you can't produce relationships through social. You can't. You can't. But if you think about the number of times you have some sort of some sort of textual conversation you compare that with the number of times you're going to have actual conversations so for example let's say you, you talk to 10 random people online versus talking to 10 random people in person um which way do you think you're going to create more relationships and i think we would all say well obviously 10 people that we meet because if you put a physical event you actually meet them you're going to meet more people that are more like and you just get a better feeling so it's not that you can't, it's just not very efficient. It's inefficient. And, and we're ending up trading inefficiency for all this bad stuff that you know, we get from social media. Uh, so it does have a role for these individuals who are unable to, to do that. Um, so the way how I, I see it is like, we have to change the nature of it. It has to be more Focus on the authentic conversation, more focus on video, more focus on smaller groups. Um, it doesn't have to be towards like the entire world. It needs to be more measured um, in that sense. And, and, and those individuals, I would argue, would prefer that because the quality of the relationship that would generate that they could not otherwise get will not only be higher, but easier. It will be easier. Um, uh, we have a lot of introverts that use our product. 
And a lot of them, they say it's easier to talk to people through Remo because when you're on a video call, I call it the, the big filter. When you talk to someone online, there's for some reason you're talking to them, but you don't actually feel that that person's sitting in front of you, obviously, right? Because it's just a video screen. But, and, and, and that's, that to me is, is this effect where you're a 2D photograph that just moves for some reason. I can't see your body. I can't see all of the, all of the, um, the, the nonverbal cues. All of that stuff is filtered out. And therefore, they don't feel embarrassed or they don't feel uncomfortable. It's a very strange thing. And so I would argue that you can have authentic conversations without the rest of that social media stuff. In terms of shallow relationships, um, you know, there's, I think, the shallow, it's, it's shallow because the depth of the communication is not deep enough. And so if I, I would then argue is that, you know, at the end of the day, people, humans are social beings, even though we have, a, we, I, even though the, the degree of social, of how people want to be social is obviously very wide, you have introverts with extroverts. But at the end of the day, human beings are social and they need to socialize at the appropriate level that they're, com they're comfortable with, um, whether it's a lot or whether it's very little. And the good thing about virtual events and what we do is you can control that. If you want to leave, you can leave. If you want to stay longer, network more, you can do that as well. Um, and it, but when you're at a physical event, it is full on. When someone's in front of you, you have like someone's kind of beside you, right? And you're like, oh, should I talk to them? Oh my gosh, I got to talk to this person. <laughs> you don't really have too much choice to either you talk to them or not, right? It's a lot of human etiquette that we have to follow in order um, you know, to fulfill certain societal norms and social norms, right? For some reason, virtual events, a lot of these things like you cannot follow. Like if, if you're at a table and there's five other people, you can just leave if you want, or you can just wave and say hi, bye, and then just quickly leave. You know, you don't have to say, oh, I need to go to the bathroom. Oh, I'm gonna go get a drink. <laughs> You can just say, hey, I'm just going to meet some other people. And it's totally fine. Like it's, it's, it's like much more easier. So I, my argument is it's actually a win for in, in both of those cases. Um, but at the same time, I'm not advocating that virtual events is the, the, is, is the be all to end all. It is not. Um, it's just that it does help a lot of these edge cases, these, a lot of these cases that, um, that allow people to kind of, you have an opportunity to build authentic relationships without the, the, the textual lack of depth, right? Because, yeah, without that. I do want to ask you about Remo for, for context. Um, but before we move on from social, um, do you use social media? And um, if so, how? How do you go about using it? And how would you encourage other people to use it if they're already on it? <laughs> I don't use social media. Period. I just don't. Um, the only time I use social media personally uh, is if I just want to see how someone's like, I want to reach out to them and to say, hey, I haven't spoken in a while. And, hey, what's up? I don't even look at their feed on the Facebook. I, I go and message them and, and see how they're doing. Um, so it's like a phone call. It's like a phone, you know, like a you know, traditional phone. Um, for, for recommending, I mean, 
I, I don't know. It, it's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare recommend. I think that's a pretty, uh, I think everyone's very different. Everyone kind of has their own way of, of, of doing things online. Um, I think, I think for me, it's like, I, I used social, um, I, I used to be in the business of social media. And so it's kind of like, you know, you work in McDonald's or you work at a restaurant and then you don't really eat the food at the restaurant. It's kind of like that. So I've, I've seen all the sides of social media, the good and the bad enough for me to kind of see that, say that it's probably not what's right for me personally. Um, but I think everyone has different ways and different reasons why they're using social media. Um, I think it's more of like, just don't get too into it. Um, is probably what I would say. Um, and just double check what people are saying. Like if someone says this, just look at the, you know, other, um, other side of the story like I'll, I'll give you an example like you know a lot of people were had were saying some things um about you know Donald Trump and all that kind of stuff and um or about Biden I actually don't I actually go and read Fox News like I don't I won't read New York Times well because I already know what New York Times is going to say but I want to see what the opposition is saying because that is what I want to see what they're saying and what they're thinking because that keeps me in tune with why they are so, why they feel a certain way. And I think that is a much more healthier way of approaching things is that you, you want to, you want to see the other side and you have to, it's pretty hard because going to see the other side is an active like um, action that you normally would not do because you're just consuming content like entertainment. You're not actively thinking about stuff. But for me, in order to have like, a, not, I, don't, I don't necessarily have to have an opinion, but for me to like understand what's going on in the world, like I, I try to get that other side. And so I will read Fox News, even though I may disagree with it or agree with it doesn't really matter. It's just seeing those other perspectives. And it's very, very easy to do that right now. Extremely easy. And you just identify what your opposition or what are the different places in terms of like websites. And then you just go online every now and then and just walk and just read it and just see what they say. You mentioned that you were in social media previously. Were you one of those regular social media users? So I, I never used social media. What I, what I had a company before that helped people grow their social media. Um, it was like a SaaS tool that helped them grow. And I saw kind of, you know, how people were using social media to grow their business and really the efficacy of that really you know what was was really going on and like what worked what didn't um i just saw all sides of that and that really helped me learn a lot about it um and and and, and therefore got very disenchanted about it well coming back to the remo would you like to um just tell us about uh what you do and then also regarding the no, the inspiration for the company was your take on social and how, um, let's say, negative uh, it is. Did that inspire you regarding the creation of your company? Yeah, I did. So because of the lack of authenticity and the lack of conversation that social media has, um, I, I also have a company where, had a company at the time where it was fully remote before the pandemic. And through that, because we were not working next to each other, 
the concept of like getting to know each other and having authentic conversations was very difficult. And so I started to create this product where it was to help people have authentic conversations. Um, and, and that's kind of like how it started. Um, and so um, what, what I started building was a virtual office just for my team to solve the problems of hallway conversations, getting to know each other, um, you know, happy hours, you know, all these Zoom, you know, Zoom social activities that we're all having nowadays. Um, so we created this before the pandemic to help solve our problem. And then after that, what I, I had my mission, which was how do you create authentic conversations that drive meaningful relationships? And what I realized was that a lot of these authentic conversations don't necessarily happen at work. It, they do sometimes happen at work, but not at the frequency or the depths that you would, you would need. So obviously we all know that we create relationships at work, but the amount of time spent on creating those relationships is actually not as much as we think. So I'll give you a good example. Relationships at work are actually, I believe that it's not just the collaboration part because when you're collaborating on something, you're talking about work. So you do learn about them and who they are, how do you collaborate with them, but you may not know who, sorry, you know about how they work, but that you don't know who they are. Like, you don't know how many they have unless you asked. Uh, do they have a dog? What do they like to eat? You know, knowing them as a person that typically happens at lunch or after work during a happy hour. Now, so that's why for me, lunch is actually really, really important. Some kind of shared meal, right? And, and, and it's funny because shared meal is like one of the most critical things about human, human culture. Every culture cares, we, we they'll talk about food at a certain point. And food is actually the conduit to allow people to learn about each other. So when you're talking over food, you're not talking about work. What did you last weekend? Oh, how was your wife? Oh, you, you, you went on a great trip there. Then that's when the authentic conversation actually happens. You get to know each other more better. And, and when you have lunch one hour a day after three or four months, that is actually where the relationship is built over a course of time of two, three, four months. So when I realized that, plus that you develop relationships at events, when you get a chance to talk to each other, not about work, or also maybe about content or challenges that you personally have, I found that that's actually way more effective to solve my vision than the virtual office. And that's when I decided to pivot. It was just a much more efficient and effective and scalable way to do it. You mentioned COVID. Um, how has that been for your business? Um, I mean, COVID is not bad. I mean, definitely nothing to complain about. Um, it's it's been definitely been a, a a roller coaster where you know we we had to go through a lot of learning and learnings and scaling pains and trying to figure out now who is like who is our who are our customers. Um, to be honest, like you know, yes, you could argue that it was really great for our business, but I would argue that well, I mean, to a certain extent, it is, but I think right now I, I'd rather have the pandemic to finish. Like I'd rather to get to the new normal, whatever that is. I'd rather get there faster because um, there's, 
a high level of uncertainty during during where we are right now. So I'm calling it I call it COVID purgatory, and where we just don't know you know what's going on. Like we are we are we doing physical events? Are we not? Like what's going to do with the Delta variant? Oh my God! There's so much you know there's so many cases. You know that mask that mask on mask off. Like what are we doing? And that uncertainty makes it um, very very difficult to try to figure out how to scale and grow your business beyond that because you know it 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 does it, it presents a moving target and so um yes it's been good in some ways but i think it's i think i think we're all ready for that party to be over you also mentioned um in your message that um we're using a, a zoom um the format of, of zoom and um how everyone's sort of had to do these types of calls, but it's lost some authenticity. Have you got any advice on perhaps um, how to put that back in? Um, how to make the one-to-one -one over video a bit more authentic? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the meeting. Um, it depends on the, the, the goal, uh, like what it is, like is it um, a webinar or is it like a small group meeting? Um, you know, for small group meetings, I think uh, we typically don't. Um, uh, it, that's a meeting. It's a small meeting, right? Um, a large meeting or or, or a meetup or uh, a webinar or something that I can I can share a lot a lot more about how to make that better. When you have a lot of people, it's very important. I, I think is content used to be the king, but the new king is interaction. That's, that is actually what you need because when people are not interacting, they're looking at their, their, um, their email, they're looking at something else. They're leaning backwards. They're not leaning forwards, engaging. Small group meetings, you don't have that problem because it's small, but large groups, you will have that problem. And so interacting with them means that um, there's a lot of, just a, I can give you a few tricks here um, or not a few tricks, but a few ideas. One is, is that um, you ask questions to the audience and you bring them up to ask a question. They could ask a question in text, but you ask them to come up and you make that into a conversation. That's one. Two is um, you have networking before and after your webinar for the content and the content needs to be as small as possible, like 20 minutes. And you have interactions on both sides. Why is because now people are not only networking, and talking about your about what you're saying, that makes whatever you're saying not only they'll remember it more, but also they can apply it, and that causes application causes you to make it have a much more stronger impression. So, and the third thing is is that the third reason why is that you can't talk to everyone at a large event, right? So let everyone else talk to each other and let them do all the interaction. And you can kind of moderate by going into different groups and talking to them. Um, this allows people to essentially like get to know you, get to know other people. It's more of like a real event. Um, I have a few more, but I don't know we have time. Well, I did want to ask you about, um, you've had some um, rapid growth uh, to over 100 employees. 
And I guess I, I'd like to ask you about how that was and um, how you might uh, give some advice to others who are growing in that sense, because I think it's quite an important topic for other business owners. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was really challenging. It was really, really challenging. Um, all like the typical startup rules that, I, that pe people taught me and people say, they just went out the door. I just have to throw, I, I like, it's like I had this book, startup handbook, and I just chucked it out of the window because everything that it said did not match and it did not work, frankly. Um, I think anything that happens in hyperscale, rules are different. And so there are no fast rules anymore and you need to really think about what are your priorities and what are you optimizing for. Um, and that you really have to focus on um, uh, what, what basically like creates, what, what moves the needle and trying things quickly and changing them all the time. We went through so much change. Like every week and every other week we were changing things. So it's just constant change again and again and again and again. And then, yeah, so that's, I would share that. Um, for other people that are going through that, I think it's trying to identify just when, when you're, you're at a, such a fast growing pace, um, I think hiring really, really good people is probably, I mean, it sounds so cliche, but I mean, it's probably really true is you have to try to hire as, as good as you can because uh, it really makes a difference. Because when things grow really, really fast, you're unable to scale yourself. So the only way to scale yourself is to hire other people. Um, try your best to hire as many good people as possible. But if you can't, it's okay to settle a little bit. But once the growth is finished, you need to go and clean up. Not clean up, but you have to like figure out if those people can continue going with you or not. Because as a startup grows, people are very good at certain things, but they may not be good at other things. And it's just part of the startup growth journey. And you have to identify who are the individuals that um, can fit in each of those stages. Um, and, and if you've hired a few people that you're not, you didn't think they're as good of a fit um, as you would have liked, or maybe, maybe you know, then, then you have, you need to constantly evaluate your team and make sure that everyone's the right fit. One of the things which you said in your answer was that um, you were continually changing or changing very, very regularly because you were growing so quickly. But one of the things that I don't know whether it's anecdotal, but I find that the bigger that you get as a company, the more difficult it is to change things. So have you got any advice on how you implemented there? Yeah, that's very true. The bigger you get, the harder it is to change. Um, what and typically what that means is that like um is that you need to find some sense of stability before you grow really big meaning that like you need to have part of market fit you need to have found what it is that you need and then you can scale and then just go in that one direction you can't be changing two directions if you're if you hired a, a large group of people and you're trying to change the directions all the time it's it becomes like a, that's like the titanic like it just takes you, you, you move around, but you end up not going anywhere. You know, you go this way, then this way, then this way. It's just too slow and you just end up just going, just, just stay in the same place probably. Um, and so I think it's really, I, I think like what, you know, what, what a lot of companies do that I've seen and is you've got to, um, you know, break things down in order to build them back up. So 
Um, I think that's some things that you have to do um, in order to make sure you stay nimble. Um, the second thing is, I think, is um, you, you have to have people that are very okay with uncertainty. If you have people that are like, oh, I have to know X, Y, and Z, I'm only going to do X, Y, and Z if you tell me this, and I need to have clear instructions, those people will not be the right fit. So you need to find people that can be nimble like that. And if everyone's nimble like that, then at the scale of a much larger company, you might be able to retain that nimbleness because everyone is very used to being nimble. Well, I can see, I, I mean, I think based on the speed of the growth and also the size of the team, I can imagine that you're very good at hiring. Would you say that's correct? And um, also, how did you go about doing that? If you were to advise someone how to hire, you know, uh, an effective team or great people, what would you say to them? Um, for me, I think uh, I, I really like giving people tests. I really like giving people tests. Um, you test them and you, you test them for the job that they're doing, not for what they say, but what they, the test. Um, that's number one. And then number two is that when you hire, there's, there are some questions that I ask that kind of makes me get a good sense of, of, of um, what they are like. So I hire for people who are very proactive. I hire people who know how to hustle, meaning like they're getting stuff done and um, they iterate quickly. And that's typically what I've seen the most effective. Uh, and I've also been able to, um, and those people you can like test for through asking them to do a test or um, asking them to uh, on the spot, like, you know, what are some of the things that they've done uh, that, that has shown like a high speed of, of, of testing or doing something. Um, I think those are some areas and the only other area I can think of is like um, is when asking questions is like really just digging really, really deep. You don't really have to know what like the, the, the topic really, all you need to do is just keep asking deeper and deeper and deeper. Like, why did you do this? Why did you just, did you do this? Is this your idea? How did you implement that? How did you like, and it's how they talk about it. Because someone who relied on someone else will not be able to go into deep enough in the details. So someone who's able to go deep into details and say it and say that they came up with something, they executed it, they they did that is so they could say that, oh, I developed this idea. Like, okay, what was the idea? How'd you think of it? Why'd you think of it? How'd you test it? I don't have to know anything about about anything. I just need to know what their thought process and the, and the actions that they did make sense. That's that's how I found to find good people in general. But of course, it doesn't always work. We can never be 100% good at hiring. So, um, you know, there's always like uh, a fair share of, um, and there's always not enough time to interview too. Um, not every person reveals that, those elements immediately. Some people take longer to reveal it. Some people are much earlier to reveal it. And sometimes you just don't have enough time. Thank you for the answer. Um, do you mind sharing the type of test that you've done previously and um, how it went? Yeah. So, for example, um, for marketing, like I have tasks for marketing, like um, developing a funnel or developing a, um, um, 
a, a, a marketing funnel, um, developing content, um, like a, a test where like, okay, uh, we need 5,000 leads. Tell me how you're going to go get it and go get it in this target market. Um, give me the leads, show it to me and put it in this spreadsheet. Um, another one is like, here's some of our Google Analytics data that we modify. And then tell me what you think is this data telling you? Because that's basically what they would do every day. Um, and so it's very simple. You take tasks that you're doing or someone else is doing, and you just package that and you just tell them that person to do it. And see how well they do it and how well they can they, they do it without context. And if they don't, and then, and I typically um, find people who like, they're willing to go out of the box, like, like things like, for example, oh, um, I found out your website has this error and they'll tell me about it. Or, um, uh, or I've, um, I'll, I'll, I might put a mistake inside some of the, of, of the test, like the link is wrong or something. They come back and say, hey, your link is wrong. Or I figured out what was wrong with the link and I, and I fixed it and I was able to do it. That's really good. Like they, they tell you and they fix your stuff and they say, oh yeah, like, by the way, like you made an error here, but I fixed it. So I ruthlessly try to like, try to find these type of people. Interesting. I like the, um, the link part. And um, you could potentially, I don't know if you did or not, but you could potentially say in the, in the link, if they fixed it, make sure you mention that you've seen this page or something. But um, yeah, yeah, great information. Thank you for sharing that. I guess the only um, other observation that I wanted to talk to you about was um, in your kind of list of things that you do or um, your profile, if you like, you got a lot of different stuff going on, or at least um, you've done a lot of, of different things. Um, why, why do you think the, the words or the phrase that it makes me think of as serial entrepreneur, um, why do you think you are that way? And um, have you got anything to share on doing lots of different things? Um, they, they, they seem very different, but actually one thing leads to the next. So I can draw a line across all of them and say, why, what did I do there that led me to the next thing, led me to the next, led me to the next thing. Um, so, um, there's, for me, I think the reason why is that, um, there's something which I kind of personally think is really important. That was important for my journey is the ability to build more capacity or to roll a snowball down a hill. You can think of it that way. So at the beginning, you're rolling the snowball up and getting the ball bigger and bigger and bigger, but eventually the hill will kind of go this way and then we'll go down. So you just got to keep on rolling it, make the ball bigger and bigger and bigger. And at each business that I've done, I've been able to roll that ball bigger and bigger. Either, either it's to make um, a little money, some money, or gain relationships, or gain network, or gain something, knowledge, that by the time I, the, the hill becomes, you, you roll it up to the top, then it begins to become more downhill. All of and the hustle is done me, initially, and then it gets easier from there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All the hustle's done, and you just have to learn um, a lot in order to, to get there. And experience does obviously give you, you know, the ability to pick the right things, to find the right people, to increase your luck. So for me, it's like, you know, you're a fisherman that goes out with your nets every day to go fishing, right? And 
at the beginning, we have a net that might be like 50 centimeters by 50 centimeters. You throw the net out and you try to reel it back in. So small, the fish just kind of like fly, you know, get back out, right? Every day you're doing that. Then every day you, you weave your net to be a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, holes a little bit smaller, they're not that big. And you keep on weaving, you keep on weaving it bigger and bigger and bigger over time that eventually your net is so massive that when you reel it back in, you actually catch that, that fish and the holes are small enough that the fish doesn't go through the hole back into the ocean. And I think that, and that's kind of building capacity is another analogy for building capacity. And so doing that enough times is, is what eventually creates that ability for you to uh, manufacture your own luck. Because it still is luck. The fish still have to go into your, your net. Um, but now you just have a better way of capturing it. Who doesn't love a good fisherman analogy, right? That's right. <laughs> what are your goals, Ho Yin? Um, I think, so for me, it's, it's creating authentic conversation for me is what's really lacking as we live in a much more technological world. And I think that's still like, that is my goal. How do you create those conversations that create those relationships? Because at the end of the day, humans are humans. We all thrive off of relationships. That's what makes life, you know, interesting, I guess, so to speak, um, good or bad. And I think like, that to me is really like the core of what says human um and how do we use technology to kind of do that's 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 in general my goal um and i think um really it's how do i scale remo in order to create to, to do that in a very effective way not just for events but for conversations that exist in other realms of the way how we converse like shopping education um sales you know anything humans have conversations how do we start figuring out how to make those conversations better across the board online and are you still in all of the various businesses you've been in or did you exit some of those some of them exited and some of them i still i'm still in what was that like Probably none for this call, <laughs> but uh, each one has its own story. Uh, each one is um, def like it's it's like moving from one job to the next. You know, it's bittersweet. It's sometimes um, a struggle. Uh, it's relationships because you build relationships with the people that that you have in the business or with others. Um, it's a change. I would say the closest thing that it would be like is like changing a job, just changing a different job. And those, those are the moments in your life, which I feel like, frankly, are probably the most memorable, to be honest. The change is definitely the most memorable um, because they're such drastic changes. Um, and so uh, it, it ends, ends one chapter, begins another. And I think that, 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 that it is a chapter. Yeah, it's a bookmark or it's a watershed. And have you got a planned exit for Remo or is that um, 
I don't know, confidential or not on not on the table at the moment? Um, it's not on the table at the moment. I mean, I mean, I think I still have a lot to left to do um, with Remo. So, um, you know, and even if, you know, if even if there wasn't, I would probably find something similar around that realm, anyways. Like the good news about my kind of goal is super broad. It's pretty broad if you think about it. So it 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 would probably manifest in itself in some other way. Well, it's a uh, a meaningful goal. So thank you for sharing it. Um, is there anything that you'd like to mention uh, that you think would be valuable for the audience that I haven't asked you about today? Yeah, I mean, I think um, virtual events and interaction is really critical when it comes to how do you engage with your customers or engaging with any in general. Like, if you want to, if you have a goal and you and you you want engagement, most of us want engagement. Um, it's now becoming harder and harder to engage with people online, and nothing can really replace kind of that that human interaction. And so, um, human interaction does take a little bit more work, um, but it's the what actually the most real and the most um, uh, you know, relatable. And so it applies to almost any kind of meeting, conversation, or whatever that you have. The more people can see if you're authentic or not. And um, this day and age, authenticity is even more important because of all this you know, fake news and misinformation. It, it is, in my opinion, a business competitive edge to be authentic. And I would end there. It's a good place to end. So um, thank you for all the information today and uh, all the value. I think you provided some, some great content. Um, where is the best place for people to find you? Um, it's my LinkedIn. Um, it's just LinkedIn and then my name, Ho Yin Chung. I'll, I'll send it to you after, Thomas. You can put it, yeah, I'll send it to you after. Okay. Ho Yin, thank you very much. Thank you.